I'm Scott Abraham from ABC7 in Washington, D.C. You know who it is. Travis Thomas Experience. This is Eric Edholm of Yahoo Sports. This is Mitch Tischler. This is Al Galdi, and you're listening to The Big Douglas Show. All right, this is The Big Douglas Show. I got Stuart with me today. How are you, Stuart? Uh, doing well. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. And our guest today is the legend, Phil Steele, who every year we look forward to his college football preview magazine. Phil, how are you doing today? You know, I'm doing great, guys. So much better than last year at this time when we're wondering if we're playing football. Uh, and schedules are changing on a weekly basis. Conferences saying they're not playing, then they come back. Uh, it was just, uh, so, I'm so excited to see the fans back in the stands. Schedules remaining the same, and we're playing football this year, so uh, just super excited. Bill, if I did my homework right, you started doing the preview in 95. Uh, I'm curious how you decided to go out on that venture and maybe how things have changed uh, with it from then to now. Yeah, that's a great question. You know, uh, back in the, the early 90s, uh, I was writing a football newsletter. And uh, back then, there was probably 20 preseason publications that were on the market uh, in the college football. I would buy each and every one of them and read through every word in each one and make all my notes on a, every team page. When I was done going through all 20 magazines, I could barely have a two deep. Some teams I didn't even have a starting lineup on. It was just the same, oh, the quarterback is this, the running back is this, so just not enough information. So I started compiling the information myself. Every player on the roster I would put on my pages, I uh, have all kinds of notes where they ranked out of high school, things like that. And then uh, someone came in the office, saw my sheets, and said, well, why don't you turn that into a magazine? So I did it the first year. In 95, we only covered 88 teams back then. The magazine, believe it or not, was only about 192 pages. And uh, it was black and white, and it was on newsprint. So it was a completely different animal. But as we got the magazine out there, it gave the amount of information that was missing from all the other preseason magazines. And once somebody got their hands on it, they needed to have that copy every year. I think it was about five, six years later, we went to full color. Uh, and then about five, six years later, I started talking to the coaches and uh, you know, each year we talked to a few more coaches. Last year I talked to about 100 of the 130 head coaches. This year I talked to about 110 of the 130 head coaches. Uh, hopefully we'll get a point where I get to all 130 in a year. Sometimes time doesn't allow it, but uh, a lot of big changes. And I'm also on every college football award committee that is out there, I think with the exception of the Butkus Award. Very interesting. Well, certainly times have changed with the new NIL. It, it is interesting the way they are, are reformatting everything. Has it made your job more difficult? And, and I'm curious with the NIL and, and publications like yours, will you have to pay players to include them from now on? How do you think this is going to end up working out? I sure as heck won't. If you want to be on my cover, send me a picture. You don't want to be on the cover? I don't need you on the cover. You're not selling anything for my magazine. People buy my magazine for the information inside. So, uh, no, I, I won't play payers, players to have their picture. I'm sure there'll be players that would like to be on the cover of the magazine. Uh, as far as the NL goes in the, in the magazine, uh, it hasn't really affected it at all. Uh, when you when you look at uh, the NIL, I think it would become a thing where the rich get richer. You know, the, the schools with the deepest pocketed boosters will get the best recruits every year because they know the paydays that are upcoming. But uh, as far as the magazine goes, 
No, uh, I'll just keep my eyes uh, very closely on each recruiting class that's brought in. Yeah, Phil, you said it. Uh, there was a day and time where uh, national TV broadcasting was uh, big time for recruiting, but I think that that uh, playing field has been uh, much leveled now. I'm curious to what your thoughts on how the NIL uh, with financial opportunities and how that will further destroy the lack of parity in recruiting and thus on on-field results, et cetera. Yeah, I mean, look at Alabama and Ohio State, what they're doing right now. I think uh, Nick Saban said Bryce Young, who hasn't even started a game for Alabama, is getting a, a million dollars. And that yeah. he just threw out there to make sure people knew, hey, you come to Alabama, we got some exactly. money for you. And I think this stuff's been going on in recruiting, guys, since the, what, 60s and 50s. But it's all been under the table in the past. Now it's just wide open. Go ahead and pay the players. Well, as a Tennessee fan, uh, it was in McDonald's bags over the last couple of years, evidently. <laughs> <laughs> no, you're, 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 you're right, though. But this is just going to drastically impact things. I think it was uh, uh, David Shaw, the Stanford coach, was railing against this stuff even recently with, uh, with the Saban uh, <laughs> recruiting incident, as you uh, mentioned. You, yeah, you and, and Coach Shaw knows exactly what's going on. So it's, uh, uh, he, he made all the proper statements. Mm -hmm. No, you talk to a lot of these guys. Do you think I'm always curious, like what happens with the quarterback who's got six figures, look at seven figures and he's lined up next to the left guard who obviously isn't getting seven figures. I know that kind of is how it works even on the pro level, but do you think it'll affect the way they teams work on the college level? Yeah, I don't. I don't think it will affect it since the players weren't getting money before. Uh, and I got to be honest, guys. When I talk to the coaches, it the coaches the conversations generally take about an hour to an hour and a half. And there's very little off the field part of the conversation. I send them over my two full sheets. They've got every player's name on them, all my notes on each player, all my uh, stats on each player, and I say, okay, coach, put me in the right order. So we'll spend five, ten minutes on the quarterback position, five, ten minutes on the running back position, all the way through the end of the line. Then I'll get to, at the end, I'll say, well, how do you feel about this year's team? And I've already taken up enough of their time. Don't have a lot of time for the, the stuff that happens off the field to talk to the coaches. So really haven't talked to any of them about the, the NIL things or anything like that. It's just a, such a long conversation because I need them to tell me about their players, strengths, weaknesses, so that I have all this stuff in my notes each year. Well, let's transition to a little bit of that then. Um, Stuart and I are unique. We are, we are not unique because we are brothers, but we are unique because we are one of these house-divided uh, families. We grew up Bulldog fans of Georgia, and Stuart decided to go to the University of Tennessee. How often do you see that as you're uh, traipsing around the country looking at this stuff? It's highly unusual, I'll tell you that much. And uh, unfortunately for Stewart, uh, he's, he's had some lean years the past couple of years. I make sure oh. to tell him that all the time. <laughs> Do you think they've got it right in Tennessee with the new staff? Uh I do. I think it's a good fit. You know, Coach Heupel is a guy that, that brings a, an offense in that's that's going to be tough to stop. And I think there's talent defensively. Now, you know, I'll, I'll be honest with you, as far as Tennessee goes this year, and to speak in depth about the, the volunteers, um, when I was doing the write-through process for the magazine, and we write the magazine in three write-throughs. The first one is 
postseason where we read every article that's written about the team and uh, assess each position, what kind of shape were they heading into last year, what happened, what kind of shape are they into this year. Second write-through is the uh, pre-spring write-through where we get the rosters updated, all the freshmen updated, rewrite through it. And then the third one is after I talk to the coaches and go through the roster. But in each of those spots, I try not to look at the schedule. I just look at the talent on the team. And I got to tell you, I was thinking Tennessee with all this massive turnover. I mean, I believe they've had 28 players hit the portal since last October. It's the most in the country, bringing in a lot of transfers, a lot of transfers going out. You're thinking this team is really going to struggle this year uh, with that much transition. But then when I got to the final part of the process and actually looked at the schedule this year, I mean, let's keep in mind, last year they played 10 SEC teams. They played uh, four teams that were ranked in the top six last year, five ranked teams overall. This year they opened up with Bowling Green. They have Tennessee Tech on the schedule, South Carolina at home, South Alabama at home, Vanderbilt at home. They're going to be favored in five games this year. Pull one upset, and this team's in a bowl. And had I not looked at the schedule, I probably would have had a lot bleaker forecast for Tennessee uh, than even what I had for him. I'm, I'm fairly optimistic that because we will, I believe, score points, uh, we might actually win some football games this year. You, you, you never know. Maybe a volunteer fan might might be might be happy. And and not taking on ten SEC defenses is going to be a big help. That Bowling Green defense, right. that Tennessee Tech defense, uh, South Alabama defense, that'll all help uh, Tennessee statistically this year. Yeah, I, I know you stick with a lot of on field and not off field, but just for the sake, do you have any insight, understanding to what might be coming down the road uh, with penalties uh, for Tennessee? No, I do not. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, let's switch to George a little bit, who has high hopes and aspirations. They start the year off with Clemson. JT Daniels got a late start last year. I mean, what is the ceiling for him in this offense? I know they'll be sad to not have Pickens, but there's a lot of things to be hopeful about the offense. I think mean, we know about the defense. What do you think about JT Daniels with a full offseason? Uh, I, I think it's going to be great. I mean, he is one of the guys that the, the NFL would have as one of the top guys going in the draft. He only started four games last year, but I think now with the full offseason with the team, the supporting cast that he has, in fact, I rate – Georgia's offensive line, number seven in the country, the running backs, number two, and the receivers, number 20. So he's got the talent uh, and to throw to. They'll probably use a little more 12 personnel this year because uh, they've got great depth at tight end. I mean, Eric Gilbert coming in from LSU, although mm-hmm. he's labeled as a wide receiver. John Fitzpatrick, Darnell Washington, Brock Bowers, these are all guys at the tight end position that are outstanding. So I, I think he's going to have a phenomenal year this year. And then you look at the schedule. When you look at Georgia, uh, they've got the best schedule in the SEC, you know, out of the East or out of the West, I should say. They avoid Alabama, LSU, and Texas A&M. That's a great start. Now, how about this? Only three true SEC road games this year, and they're all against first-year head coaches. I'm talking about Auburn, Vanderbilt, Tennessee. Uh, They're actually going to be favored in 11 of their 12 games this year. To me, they're the clear-cut favorite to win the East. Uh, And if they knock off Clemson early, uh, look out. And Keep in mind, the last two times they played Alabama in the postseason, I think they've trailed those games by a combined two minutes. So they know they can play with Alabama. Where do you kind of fit Kirby into the head coaching ranks? Well, since he hasn't won a national championship yet, I wouldn't put him in the top five. But as soon as he does that, I'll have him right up there. And, you know, as mentioned, he's he's got this Georgia team contending for – 
national titles on a, a yearly basis. So you you got to like that. So he, he's definitely in the in the top oh ten or fifteen right now. But I just wouldn't put him in the top five till he bags the national title. Who's likely to take the biggest step backward uh, backwards from some of the big teams like Clemson, Alabama, Ohio State, Oklahoma? Uh, I don't think any of them will take a big step backward. I will say this, the four teams that reached the playoff last year, uh, and, and talking to 110 to 130 head coaches like I did this year, almost every team has got 15, 16, 17 returning starters. It's a common theme. Coaches tell me all the time, they told me all the time, the recurring theme of, hey, Phil, normally we're, we're scraping to get a two deep together in the spring. This year we were able to run three full teams, so everybody's deep this year. Well, the four team that made the playoffs only have 9, 10, 11 returning starters. They all lost their starting quarterback. They're among the least experienced teams in the league. However, when you look at Alabama's schedule this year, they'll be favored in every single game. The biggest potential slip-up is October 9th against Texas A&M. When you look at Clemson's schedule, they'll be favored in every single game. Toughest games are Georgia in the opener, and then either North Carolina or Miami in the ACC title game. Ohio State, they'll be a double-digit favorite in every single game this year. So while they are less experienced than everybody else, they've got the talent to get right back there. I don't think we'll see a big step back from any of those three teams. Who takes the next big step forward? Uh, I definitely like Texas A&M uh, to get to that spot. I think that's a potential upset uh, when they play when they host Alabama on October the ninth. Uh, they had the best defense in the SEC last year. They've got nine starters back on the defensive side, and you know their offense was a finalist for the Joe Moore Award. And last year, when I was talking to Coach Jimbo Fisher at the end of the year, going over the Joe Moore Award with them, he told me at that, that at that time he felt that this year's offensive line would be more talented, have more NFL prospects. Uh, bigger, stronger, faster than last year's offensive line. So I checked with him after spring this year when I was going through the team with him, and once again, he feels this year's team probably has five NFL prospects on it, where the four guys that were lost, only one of them was drafted by the NFL. So that makes Texas A&M a very dangerous team. And if you go back and watch that first half of A&M Alabama last year, there's about four plays that separated the two teams. I thought they played Alabama pretty much even up in the first half. They now get that at home in College Station in front of a packed house, and I think that's a potential upset. Where You mentioned North Carolina there. Are you surprised how quickly Coach Brown was able to get that program turned around? I mean, I know he's a storied coach, but he had some time off, and, man, that, that team is rocking and rolling. Yeah, he stepped into a pretty good situation. And what I mean by that is the prior two years, Larry Fedora had the talent. They just suffered injuries, tough losses. It was one of those things where they were much better in 3-9 and nine and 2-9. and nine. Now, there's something to be said for a coaching change. Coaching change, players have a new attitude, buy in a little bit more, have some early wins, and all of a sudden you've got a different team. Getting to a bowl game that first year I think was huge, but the one thing Mac Brown has done, he has, his three recruiting classes have been phenomenal. So now he's got three recruiting classes lined up. He's one of the best head coaches out there. He's going to get the best out of his team on a weekly basis, and now he's got a very talented team. I think the biggest improvement with North Carolina this year is going to be on the defensive side of the ball. Uh, going through the team with Coach Brown, they have size, they have speed, they have athleticism, they look good getting off the bus, and defense has been the problem the last two years. I think you'll see a vastly improved defense for the Tar Heels. Let's talk about some more local teams. What, what can you tell us about Maryland? 
Well, Maryland's playing in a in the Big Ten, tough division naturally, but uh, I, I think when you look at them, they've got some explosiveness. You go back to last year, they took on uh, two teams as a 20-plus dog last year, Minnesota and Penn State, and knocked them off in back-to-back weeks. The mm-hmm. Penn State game was amazing. It was about five mm-hmm. big plays they got for touchdowns. Then uh, Taloa Tungavaloa got injured and wasn't quite the same the last two games. Missed one game, and, and uh, in the other one, it wasn't quite the same. Look at the receiving core he's got with Rakeem Jarrett, Jayshon Jones, Dante Demas. Uh, they are loaded at receivers, so the explosiveness potential of their offense is great. Now, they're going to have to start stopping some people on the run. I mean, last year they gave up almost five yards per carry, gave up uh, 32 points per game. If they can get that defense tightened up, then I think they could pull another couple of upsets like they did last year and contend for a bowl spot. Schedule's not easy. Uh, you know, they're going to be an underdog against West Virginia, potentially at Illinois. Uh, Iowa, Ohio State. I mean, it is a, a very tough schedule that they draw this year. Uh, but I, I think we're going to see Mike Loxley's best team yet in this three years and uh, a potential for a bowl if they can pull a couple upsets. You mentioned Talia Tungabailoa. How does he compare to his brother? Uh, sort of a different animal. He's a little more business-like uh, than uh, Tawa, it, uh, the, you know, I think that he was a little more loose, carefree, and uh, I, I like that. I, he's also just five foot eleven, so uh, you know the, the size a little bit of a thing. But uh, I think when you look at him, he's a guy that can complete a high percentage of passes. He only hit sixty one percent last year, but he'll improve upon that, and I think his ratio will be a lot better this year as well. The other talk to us about Virginia you- Tech. A big game to start with, huh? Uh, you're talking about a Friday night in Blacksburg, enter Sandman. If they can upset North Carolina, I think Virginia Tech becomes a contender in the Coastal Division. Last year, there were times where Virginia Tech was missing 20 to 25 players from the lineup. Uh, did okay, but 5-6 and six just isn't going to cut it for Hokie fans. And I, I believe the coaching staff knows they're a little bit on the hot seat this year. But knock off North Carolina. And all of a sudden, the entire outlook for the season changes. They become a contender in the Coastal, and it could be a big year. I do think they get back to a bowl game. I've got them as my number 13 most improved team in the country. Eight starters on offense. They need to keep Braxton Burmeister healthy. I know they added the uh, Texas A&M transfer, Connor Blumreck, but if Burmeister can stay healthy, something it wasn't last year. I like the running game with uh, Blackshear, Holston, and King. Uh, you look at the receivers, uh, they've got an outstanding tight end in James Mitchell. And defensively last year, they were switching up schemes on the defensive side of the ball and didn't have a spring practice to practice it. And it showed at times. Uh, with seven starters back, I think we should see a much improved defense over the one that gave up uh, 32 points per game last year. I was going to ask you, and you, you briefly mentioned it, I mean, what, what kind of year do you think Fuentes needs to have? Hokie fans, I think, were really excited when they made the higher uh, to your point, they just haven't won enough games for the fan base. What, what do you think he needs to do this year? Do you think he's on, like, is this a make-it-break year for him? I think if they miss a bowl game, yes, it is a make-or-break year. I think if he gets them to seven wins, uh, it would be okay enough to keep him around. Uh, I think they have a chance to get to eight wins this year. And if that's the case, then I think he would definitely be around. As long as they're competitive in the big games, which they generally are, uh, they've just come up short in some of the the bigger games of the season, uh, then I think that uh, he would definitely be around if they get to seven wins this year. And uh, what about UVA? Well, you know, Virginia is a, a tough 
tough team to forecast sometimes. I'll go back to last year, for example. You know, they lost their outstanding uh, quarterback who was uh, probably, it seemed like, 90% of the offense in Bryce Perkins. And when I was talking to Coach Mendenhall, go over on a team with him last year, he said, Phil, we're going to be fine at quarterback. And I was, I was skeptical. I was like, well, I don't know. I mean, Bryce Perkins was so dynamic. And what happens last year uh, with Brennan Armstrong at QB, and he, he was even banged up during the year, they actually put up more yards per game. They went from 389 yards per game to 423 yards per game. So I guess I missed that one. Uh, you know, they, Coach Mendenhall told it just like it is. Now this year, you know, if I mentioned a position, he felt pretty good about it. You know, like the uh, offensive line, for example, where they've got four starters coming back, and uh, he feels that it could be the highest-performing offensive line that he's had in his time there. That's a good place to start. I think they need more a more dynamic running back than Wayne Talapapa. Uh, he's a guy that just basically is a plugger at the running back spot, and I think Mike Collins might provide that. And if they get that dyna- dyna- dynamic uh, running back teamed with a Brendan Armstrong who can hurt you running and passing, and some dangerous receivers. I mean, Keaton Thompson is a guy that can hurt you as a wide receiver running back. Rashawn Harry is a, Henry is a guy at wide receiver that can hurt you. And, and defensively, they need to keep that secondary healthy. That's really what's hurt them the last two years. Their secondary gets banged up final couple games of the season, and uh, things uh, go out the window down the stretch. But uh, overall, I think they get back to a bowl game this year. Uh, Coach Mendenhall made a point to tell me they are the defending coastal champs, which they are. There was no coastal division last year. So uh, it is the wild and wacky uh, coastal. And uh, I think Virginia's got a shot. Bill, let's wrap with this. If the quarterback position is the most important position on the field, and we've got Rattler and Slovis and Daniels, who are the three do you like the best? And is there a quarterback or two that we're not thinking about that you think will really shine this year? Yeah, I'm I'm going to go with Spencer Rattler. Uh, Lincoln Riley's had a veteran quarterback three times, all three times. I mean, he had two Heisman winners and a, a Heisman finalist uh, for when he had a veteran quarterback. Now, Spencer Rattler was a first-time starter last year and went through his lumps. I mean, he even got benched against Texas. But I love the way he responded after getting benched against Texas and had a great finish of the year. He's got an amazing supporting cast in front of him. He's got my number one rated offensive line in the country, number two set of uh, receivers, number four set of running backs, still have the most explosive offense in the country, and I think he has a big-time year this season. Uh, three guys who are not even returning starters. They're first-time starters, but they play for big-time schools. I'm talking about C.J. Stroud of Ohio State. Bryce Young of Alabama, and D.J. Uyunglele from uh, Clemson. I think when you look at those three guys, the amount of supporting talent they have around them, they'll all have big years despite the fact they're not even uh, a returning starter this year. Bill, thank you so much for your time today. This was a, a whole lot of fun. We'll uh, we'll post the link uh, to uh, to get the review, but tell the people at home uh, where that link is uh, here. I appreciate that. Yeah, the uh, you can uh, first of all follow me on Twitter. It's at PhilSteel042. That's at PhilSteel042. Uh, you can get the magazine at Barnes and Noble and Books a Million. So make sure you check out your local Barnes and Noble Books a Million. Pick one up today, or you can go online and get it at PhilSteel.com. That's S-T-E-E-L-E.com. And the big news there 
If you get the hard copy of the magazine, you can save $10 on the digital magazine. And we're actually going to have the digital magazine updated with any transfers, any players that are out for the year or uh, that happened between June 15th when the magazine went out and the start of the season. So that will get fully updated for you, and you save yourself 10 bucks. That's Phil Steele, S-T-E-E-L-E.com. Thanks, Phil. This was great. Appreciate it. Thank you so much. Hey, thanks, guys. A lot of fun talking football with you today. Yeah, have a good one. Appreciate it.